And now, a poem. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. Itch manners. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. How are you? Doing all right. Freshly you know? awoken from a nap. Yeah, we'll say that. Yeah, the sleep lines still etched into your face mm-hmm. like the like the footprints of the cattle across the plains. Oh, boy. It's a, it's a spoken word. It's kind of a non-rhyming. How, how provocative. Well, you see, provocative and evocative, mm. I would say. Yeah. Uh, so. I sleep on my stomach, by the way, listeners. So that's why. I sleep on a bed. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I have uh, sleep lines on my face. So what are we talking about this week, you're wondering? Well, my friends, of course. We're talking about the one and only cowboy poetry. I mean, you probably could have guessed that because you know, uh, you know, the National Cowboy Poetry Gathering is is happening January twenty fifth through thirtieth. So you're like, when are they going to talk about it? Uh, well, it's not actually. I mean, it's happening, but virtually. it's virtually yes. happening. You know, I I picked out this topic uh, going through a the National Day calendar, mm-hmm. and afterwards, after we agreed on it. I was like, you know, do you remember when we went to Las Vegas? Yes. The same weekend as, was it a rodeo? Yes, it was a rodeo. So we were staying at the Venetian. And where was the it rodeo? It was like a big, it was at the, whatever the pyramid is, Luxor maybe? Whatever the uh, the one that's shaped like a big pyramid that has like a huge arena in it. Yeah. There were so many people. Cowboys to the left of us. Cowboys, Cowboys to, to the, the right. right. Um, there was a lot of Western wear, and that's great for a rodeo because you need that, right? Makes a lot of sense. If you're wearing a tuxedo, it's going to get ruined. It's going to get ruined. And we walked through... Why were we walking through that casino, through I that think hotel? That's where the uh, aquarium was. Yes. No, that was Monterey. Okay. Welcome to Travis and Teresa reminisce <laughs> about a vacation they half remember. We went to go visit. Maybe it was a garden something. or something in the same hotel, and we were astonished to find a rodeo happening. And I think it was one of those things, too, where we did not put together that it was a rodeo. And it was just like, we just saw another cow. Why is there another cowboy here? You're seeing all these cowboys, right? And then I was like, ah. Ah. Okay, but let's be clear. One, we're not talking about cowboys in the, uh, like, Hollywood sense. We're talking about actual factual cowboys, the ones who, like, you know, drove cattle Mm -hmm. from place to place. That kind of thing. Historically, there were a lot of African Americans, we will get to that too, and uh, and people from Mexico. We're going to talk about oh, that. Okay, all right. Gonna, oh, all right. I'm presenting all right. this week, okay. Teresa. Okay. I just I just want to show you how well versed I am, even without but reading you, the copy. But my love, the dynamic of the show is one person <laughs> is an expert and the other is a dummy. Okay, this is this is. I'm usually oh. the dummy, so let me give you a little tip. Okay, when you do that, 
you have to be half right. So I can go, well, sort of. And then I kind of bring in the information. All this time, I thought that you really didn't know. No, I don't. Oh. But I'm telling you how to pretend like you don't know. Got it. Okay, so here's the thing. Cowboy poetry is probably something that you don't know the, like, name of, like, that you wouldn't call it cowboy poetry. But I guarantee... No, I would say that there is a 99% chance that here in a second I'm going to tell you a cowboy poem and you're going to be like, well, I know that one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it is a 150-year-old tradition. So there is an article that a lot of this information comes from. Uh, thank you, Alex, for researching it. And thank you to Ryan T. Bell, uh, who wrote a National Geographic article titled, Cowboy Poetry is a 150-year-old tradition. Will it survive in the 21st century? So check that out if you want to. So, cowboy poetry could be argued to be the most American art form there is because it's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It's poems written by cowboys while they herded their cattle across the American West. But, I mean, that's like saying, you know, like, still life, you paint, you know, some fruit in a bowl. Right. It's like, well, well it doesn't really cover it. And I think that the, it probably has a rich oral tradition. Oh, indeed. Okay. Um, cowboy poetry is distinctive because its subject matter, uh, as you might imagine, is very much based on, like, nature, animals, being out uh, there in the wilderness, uh, but also a traditional use of rhyme and meter. Um, the tones of the poem can range from joyful and humorous to questioning and thoughtful, grief-stricken, or love-struck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mostly it reflects the culture of the American West, uh, and it, it follows typically iambic pentameter. Of all things. Oh, really? Which is the same as Shakespeare. In case right, yeah. Wanted. Yeah. Which is a very natural cadence once you... Ba-bum, 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 yeah. ba-bum. Yeah. yeah. Once you figure it out. This is the thing. Once you hear it, you will instantly be like, okay, I totally get it. This is one that you probably don't recognize, but I'm going to read in its entirety because I think it's absolutely beautiful. All right. Uh, this is a poem called Ryden by Charles Badger Clark, uh, and it is a pretty wonderful example of of cowboy poetry. So please enjoy. Now, wait a second. If you enjoy this poem, might I recommend Wonderful, the podcast wherein our sweet sister-in-law reads poems quite often in her poetry corner. Okay, so here we go. And I'm going to do it in a cowboy voice, so everybody enjoy. There is some that like the city, grass that's curried, smooth, and green, Theaters and strangling collars, wagons run by gasoline, but for me toss and saddle, every day without a change, and a desert sun ablazing on a hundred miles of range, just a riding, a riding, desert rippling in the sun, mountains blue among the skyline, I don't envy anyone when I'm riding, when my feet are in the stirrups and my hoss is on the bust, with his hooves a flashing lightning from a cloud of golden dust. And the bawling of the cattle is a coming down the wind. Then a finer life than riding would be mighty hard to find. Just a riding, a riding, splitting long cracks through the air, stirring up a baby cyclone, ripping up the prickly pear as I'm riding. I don't need no art exhibits when the sunset does her best, painting every lasting glory on the mountains to the west. And your Aubrey looks foolish when the night bird starts his tune, and the desert silver mountain by the touches of the moon, just a riding, a riding. Who can envy kings and czars when the coyotes down the valley are singing to the stars if he's riding? 
When my earthly trail is ended and my final bacon curled and the last great roundup's finished at the home ranch of the world, I don't want no harps nor halos, robes nor other dressed up things. Let me ride the starry ranges on a pinto hoss with wings. Just a riding, a riding. Nothing I'd like half so well as a rounding up the sinners that have wandered out of hell and a riding. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. So, <laughs> you can see it's pretty standard. I mean, it, there's the occasional break of a line that's kind of like, if it's A, B, A, B, mm-hmm. it's like a C, right? But it's pretty A, B, A, B, A, B. Um, yeah. Pretty well metered. What I think is interesting to me, and I'm sure that this is intended, and I'm not the first person to figure it out, but the iambic pentameter is very much like hoofbeats, right? Ba-bump, 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 ba-bump. It very much fits... Like a natural rhythm yeah. of a hoofbeat or heartbeat. So now, so now you're thinking that's beautiful, Travis. But I have never heard cowboy poetry. Well, do you know a little song called "Home on the Range"? Sure do. That's cowboy poetry, baby. Home, about, home on the range. What about "Oh my darling, darling Clementine"? I bet so. I mean, it works for me. She'll be coming around the mountain. You sure. know, we sing a lot of these songs to our children. Yes. Um, there's also, there was a picture. The Yellow Rose of Texas. Sure. I bet the stars at night are big and bright. Something deep in the heart. That, I don't know. Maybe that works. Uh, there's a Pixar short called Boundin. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah that is cowboy that. poetry right mm-hmm. there. It played before The Incredibles. And I watched it in prep for this, written and directed uh, by the person who does the voice in the thing, who also narrates it. And it's the voice of Eeyore from uh, Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Um, here's the thing is this is there are some forms of Americana. For example, uh-huh. we talked about uh, old what's his face who did all the drawings. What was his name? <laughs> Norman Rockwell. Norman Rockwell. <laughs> we talked about Norman Rockwell and his uh, art was like reflective of a period that didn't really necessarily right. exist, yes. right? Yes, it, it was a time period that was largely um, in his mind. I mean, it did it did not really happen that way. It's... And he created it <laughs> after the time period had happened, right? Yes. This is what we see a lot of, of like um, movies where we watch and get an idea of like what the 1920s were like. And it's uh, like, well, yeah. no, but this is... And the thing about cowboy poetry is... The, I mean, the historical stuff was written by the cowboys themselves while they were doing it, right? So it might not be 100% accurate, but it is, like, as old as the job. You know what I mean? Nice. Um, so it became a thing in uh, about the 1870s. And what it evolved from uh, was them telling stories, right? You're out on the, the trail. Uh, you got a lot of time to kill. Um, you can't travel at night for reasons I'll explain in a bit. And you had people, as you have said, who came from all kinds of different lives and cultures. Uh, You had Civil War veterans, former slaves, uh, Mexican vaqueros, uh, Native American cowboys, and they all uh, would tell stories. And the easiest way to remember a story is in verse, right? If it rhymes, it's a lot easier. It's a reason so many of like, it's a reason poetry has lasted throughout history. And why maybe a lot of these poems survive in song as well. I I mean, yeah, like we have epic poems like Beowulf, where it's just like anyone can remember it because it rhymes. Well, not anybody, but it's easier to remember because it rhymes, right? And It gives you a fighting chance to remember it. (laughs) And so these were like very long form poems. So 
there is a cowboy poet legend, B.J. Smith, and his interpretation of how cowboy poetry came to be uh, is, is thus. Believe it or not, and this like boggled my mind, right? But these massive herds of cattle, right? To get cattle from place to place before trains, right? Mm-hmm. You had to drive them. You had to like move them on foot. Yep, they got to walk there. And sometimes that pathway, that trail was like from Texas to Canada, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Well, because you have different seasonal pastures that you Correct. need to get through. This was before barbed wire. This was before all of that stuff, right? And so to get cattle to go to sleep, what they would do is start circling the herd and kind of condensing them, right? Getting Mm -hmm. smaller and smaller. But the problem is, is cows have like excellent eyesight, but really bad depth perception. And so they can see almost 360 degrees because they're basically the preyiest prey (laughs) you can imagine. So fun fact, you can tell if an animal is a predator or prey based on how their eyes are positioned Mm -hmm. because they're in the front they have great depth perception, meaning they're great hunters. And if they're on the side, it means that they can see a wider uh, kind of field so that they can see if something's sneaking up on them. That but makes poor depth perception. sense when I think about things like rabbits. Deer. Deer. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So cows are like have almost 360 degrees. I mean, you know what I mean? Like they're incredible fields of vision, very poor depth perception. And so. In fact. I also have very poor depth perception, but I can't see 360 degrees. Yeah, you get the worst of both worlds. <laughs> and so they would circle the herd. But the problem is, is that is the same. That's predator behavior, too. Right. Yeah. And so to keep the herd from getting spooked, they would talk to them or sing to them because you wouldn't want to like hoop and holler. That's scary. They would talk to the cows in like low voices or they'd like whistle or something, something more soothing. Mm -hmm. And so they had kind of this like natural kind of like rhythmic speaking way about them or singing thing to keep the cattle calm. So they would like sing to the cattle or talk to the cattle, right? Much like you sing a baby to sleep. Very much so. Because basically you're circling them until they lay down and go to sleep. And then once they lay down and go to sleep, all you really have to do at that point is sit around a fire and like talk, right? So then that's where the storytelling comes right. in. Right. Someone has to keep watch for predators. Right. So at this point, really all you're doing is kind of like singing, talking in a rhythm, and sitting around and telling stories. And so I think that you can see where that is a natural evolution to like telling stories in verse. Of right. course. Of course. Um, so the the um oldest known anthology, you know what? We'll get to that. But first, how about a thank you note for our sponsors? Let's go. We want to write a thank you note to Zola. Zola is dedicated to making wedding planning easier and less stressful. Oh, oh, how I wish. Oh, how I wish we had known about Zola when Teresa and I were planning our wedding. You know, when you get started out, it feels like there is so much to do. You don't even know where to begin. It feels like you have to talk to 80,000 different people about 80,000 different things. But imagine having all of that in one place. Wedding vendors, save the dates, invitations, websites, registries, all of that stuff all in one place. 
How amazing is that? Well, Zola can give that to you. You can find wedding vendors in your area with personalized recommendations based on your style, budget, and more. You can explore hundreds of beautiful designs for save the dates and invitations. And just in case, all purchases come with free change the dates. And you can also use Zola to create free wedding websites, including building your registry. So go to Zola.com slash schmanners today and use promo code SAVE50. That's S-A-V-50 to get 50% off your save the dates. You can also get free personalized paper samples before you purchase. That's Zola.com, Z-O-L-A.com slash schmanners, promo code SAVE50. We also want to write a thank you note to Quip. Listen, I love gum. I love it. When I was a kid, when I got uh, Halloween candy, my go-to wasn't chocolate. I was excited if there was gum in there. But, you know, now as an adult, I've had to give up my gum habit because everyone knows gum is bad for you. Or so we thought, because Quip has changed the way we've done gum. That's right. Quip has launched a new gum that's actually good for your oral health and comes with a dispenser that will remind you of the one-click candy you loved as a kid. It's easy to use. It's fun to use. Oh, man, it'll take you right back. It takes me right back every time. And you can use it to share with a friend or, like, break the ice with a stranger when we, you know, get to meet strangers without having to worry about them touching all the gum, you know, because it's one at a time. It's a one-click dispenser. It's amazing, folks. And in addition to gum packs, you also uh, will get delivered to you fresh brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills every three months from $5. Shipping is free, so you can save money and skip the misery of in-store shopping. Get chewing for less than $2 per gum pack. And if you go to getquip.com slash schmanners right now, you can get a free dispenser at getquip.com slash schmanners. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash schmanners. Quip, a good habits company. Welcome back to Fireside Chat on KMAX. With me in studio to take your calls is the dopest duo on the West Coast, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Go ahead, caller. Hey, uh, I'm looking for a music podcast that's insightful and thoughtful, but like also helps me discover artists and albums that I've never heard of. Yeah, man. Sounds like you need to listen to Heat Rocks every week. Myself and I'm Morgan Rhodes and my co-host here, Oliver Wong, talk to influential guests about a canonical album that has changed their lives. Guests like Moby, Open Mike Eagle, talking about albums by Prince, Joni Mitchell, and so much more. Yo, what's that show called again? Heat Rocks, deep dives into hot records. Every Thursday on Maximum Fun. So, as I was saying, the oldest known anthology of cowboy poems is a two-volume set, Songs of the Cowboys, which was published by Jack Thorpe in 1907 and 1921. And it was compiled because Jack himself was a rancher in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as you may not be surprised by 1921, was beginning to feel that perhaps the cowboy way of life was in danger. Yes, all of this makes sense because trains were well established at Mm -hmm. that point. And barbed wire. Barbed wire and the West had been won and Manifest Destiny had concluded and there didn't seem to be any Wild West anymore. Right. Um, So one of the most famous of of the poems from this was uh, called The Campfire Has Gone Out, an evocative title uh, by Don Edwards, uh, which uh, was an ode 
to what Jack Thorpe was watching happen to the West. Uh, it, it, so the um, poem, a little bit of it went like this. This is just uh, a verse. Through the progress of the railroad, our occupation's gone. So we put ideas into words, our words into a song. First comes the cowboy. He is pointed for the West. Of all the pioneers, I claim the cowboys are the best. You will miss him on the roundup. It's gone, his merry shout. The cowboy has left the country, and the campfire has gone out. Now, it is important to note, because this is where we start talking about, like, ah, oh, the cowboy is a dying breed, and, oh, this is a dying way of life. This is also around the same time where the Native American way of life was being systematically destroyed. Yes. Um, and that is not just like, oh, our jobs are going away. This is like, our land is being stolen, we are being slaughtered. And children are being placed in institutions Instead of being allowed to learn their traditional right. ways. At this point, like, they are actually losing their actual culture and lives and not just like, oh, we had a lot of fun being cowboys and we don't get to do it anymore. Right. So it's important to take a step back and see everything with a grain of salt as we talk about this stuff. So I wanted to highlight that. Alex made sure to highlight that. Idiom alert. Yeah. Grain of salt. Take it with a grain of salt. That is a good one. I don't, I have no idea why it is. Okay. So. Let's talk more about uh, the the campfires gone out. Folklorist Hal Cannon agrees that that verse is a pretty perfect snapshot of how people felt in the United States uh, as, as you know, the world was getting more and more modern around them. Uh, he says, quote, it has been a slow dying process. At the time of the American Revolution, 90% of Americans made their living in agriculture. By the turn of the 20th century, around 40% did. Now it's probably under 2%. And there are far fewer cattle on public and private land than in the history of the American West. Right? It just became the world changed. Right? Yeah. It's always a change in. And I think the thing about that, that I, I think that there are many things we can see uh, as we look throughout history, right? The, the 20th century, in a hundred years of history, right? So much technology changed and developed compared to the rest of time. Technology that, that changed everyone's lives, I think, is well, really like, because there was also a lot of technology that happened in the the Renaissance period, but because it was only available to the wealthiest among Europeans, right? It was isn't, I would say, as impactful. Yes, but I'm talking more about the evolution, right? Because if you think about the time between the Wright brothers at Kitty Hawk and landing a man on the moon, it's like a century, right? Like yeah. the speed at which that developed. And I, I think there are a lot of industries that like developed like that. And I think th what makes this different is one, uh, I think that for good or for bad, the idea of the cowboy is so intrinsically linked to America as being like a, you know, that oh, that's pure, that's pure American right there, you know? Nostalgically so. Also, thank you to the spaghetti westerns. Right, very the, much of so. Of the late 50s, early 60s. I mean, it still is a thing now. If you see a movie in which, or a TV show, in which a person from the USA goes to a foreign country, Nine times out of ten, they're going to get to refer to as a cowboy at some point, right? Ted Lasso. Right? It happens. That yeah. is what happens. And so I, I think that that, plus, there was a bit of romance to the cowboy 
like the idea of it, right? Well, absolutely. It was not not just thanks to the spaghetti western, but the kind of like quote idealism right. of of the people who rounded cattle, who lived off the land, who, you know, were able to be completely self-sufficient right. and and all that kind of stuff is very is deep-rooted in the United States of American culture. Right. And if you see, I mean, think about, you know, someone working an office job during times at which there were actual cowboys and they're like, oh, I'm in here in the office. There's someone out there on horseback. <laughs> you know, like, I think yeah. it's I think it's very easy for people to project onto that, like, that's living right there out on the open plains, right? Um, I'm reminded of Newsies. Yes, very much yeah, so. Where where Jack Kelly talks about, you know, Santa Fe, I need space, not just air. Right. So by the 1980s, right, cowboy culture, for whatever you want to consider that, like true cowboy culture, it was, at that point, it went from like driving cattle across almost three quarters of, of the country to uh, land stretches of land in California, Utah, Nevada, Oregon, and parts of Idaho, which may sound like a lot, but it you went from like three quarters of the country to maybe 10% of the country or less, yeah. right? And so during this time, a team of folklorists uh, who were supported by the National Endowments for the Arts started like scouring the West looking for examples of cowboy poetry, and they found a wealth of it uh, printed everywhere from agricultural magazines to feed store calendars to menus and diners. Okay. Like it was just kind of like, popping up from here to there. And so they started collecting it. And to keep it alive, they proposed a cowboy poetry competition. And cowboys said no. What? Yeah. So um, (laughs) Wally McRae, a rancher and poet from Montana, told National Geographic that, quote, a poetry competition didn't sound as fun as simply getting together to share poems. There'd only be one winner. Why couldn't we all be winners? End quote. I love it. So they changed it from a competition to a gathering. And that's the same thing we've been talking about. The, the, you know, the poetry gathering in Elko, Nevada. That's where it normally is. Um, And so since 1985, every year during the last week in January, various artists have gathered in Elko, Nevada for poetry, conversations, songs, and all around rooting and or tooting. Probably also camp coffee. Indeed. Oh, probably. There's probably lots of coffee, probably a, a, ba- a bagel, maybe a donut. Yes, <laughs> just, uh, I was thinking beans. Oh, okay. Well, beans. now, now, now you're being reductive, madam. They ate all kinds of things. Including sure, coffee beans. and beans. Sure. They did not eat coffee beans, though. <laughs> uh, maybe they did. I don't maybe. know. Um, the festival. Maybe they ate chocolate-covered espresso beans. I'm going to. <laughs> Probably not in like 1870. Um, so the festival quickly caught national attention. And several poets became repeat guests on the Johnny Carson show. Um, two of them, actually Buck Ramsey and Joel Nelson, were named National Heritage Fellows. Uh, by the turn of the 21st century, I should say, the average age of uh, ranchers was higher and higher. Mm-hmm. And so many people had moved away uh, into a more modern lifestyle. And there is... It's interesting because throughout the history of kind of cowboy culture, it seems that almost as soon as it was a thing, people started talking about it dying out. 
Right. right. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's kind of like the the Pony Express syndrome. Right. right. <laughs> but the Pony Express only lasted for like two years or something. Right. It was but uh, what I'm saying is, as soon as it started, the train right. happened, and everyone was like, "Well, we don't need that anymore." Right. And I think once again, I think that the idea of it dying out has become part of the romanticism. Oh, absolutely. Because you have to save this way of life. Well, and also if you think about movies like literally a movie called No Country for Old Men, right? That there are movies that are about like, oh, how hard it is being out here and oh, who knows if we're going to make it. You know what I think of though? What? City Slickers. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. I get that too. So the board of directors of the National Cowboy Poetry Gathering noticed that things were kind of like the ticket sales were falling away. And so... In an effort to introduce the poetry to a more urban audience, they hired a new executive director in 2017 named Kristen Windbigler. Um, so Windbigler had previously worked for TED, T-E-D, capital, capital, like TED Talks, okay. uh, in New York and Wired Magazine in San Francisco. And you might be like, why her? Uh, but she also actually had like a cowgirl background. Uh, she was grew up in a ranching community in California, and she was kind of the perfect middle ground. And she said, quote, I've spent a lot of time crossing back and forth between these two worlds. The National Cowboy Poetry Gathering can bridge that gap. End quote. So she brought the festival into the 21st century, uh, focusing on, you know, growth in the event social media. She released videos of historical performance. One of them went viral with 4.3 million views and 93,000 shares of a cowboy poet named Sonny Hancock performing in 1994. Hey now, nice. But she also made strides to make sure the festival reflected every cowboy voice. Perfect. Saying, quote, When we curate each year's shows, we want performers that reflect the gathering's roots, but also those who can chart a course for the future by bringing in new voices, end quote. So the festival has now uh, kind of broadened the definition of what counts as cowboy poetry, which I think is great. The gathering makes sure to include poetry traditions of cowboy cultures worldwide, including gauchos of Argentina, nomads of Mongolia, uh, the Camar, uh, uh, horsemen of southern France, Quote, it doesn't matter what language you speak, the cowboy poet and rancher Gail Steger said. If you make your living on a horse, we've got a lot more in common than things that separate us. Uh, Last year, Mm -hmm. the gathering honored the black cowboy, which many agreed was long overdue, given the crucial role of uh, African-Americans in the history of the West. You know, historians, like you said earlier, historians estimate one quarter of all cowboys were black. Uh, right. but we, and that's something that was was buried kind of in the nostalgia of the spaghetti western. Oh, absolutely. There were there was a, I would say there was a lot of um of Latin America mm-hmm. in the in the spaghetti western but not very much African American. And even American then heritage. even then the, the Latin American representation was very uh like stereotypical and very like what's the word I'm looking for? Harmful stereotypes, you sure, know. Sure, yeah. They most often were the bad guys, right? The bad guys are like so over accented or mm-hmm. had terrible habits or whatever. Um, and you know, actually, the the uh, home on the range uh, that we talked about earlier was based on someone's field recordings in 1908 of a retired black cowboy who had once ridden the Chisholm Trail, uh, the Lone Ranger. One of the most ah. iconic cowboys of all times was based on uh, Bass Reeves, who was the first African American to become a U.S. Marshal. And, like, both of these wow. things have been very much whitewashed. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. And those are just two out of a million, right? So uh, Don Flemons, uh, a folk singer whose album's Black Cowboys, uh, he he explains... 
quote, there are two kinds of Wests, the literal West and the West of the imagination. If movies, songs, and poems about ranching continue to go out into the world, it will bring people in. It may take time to manifest into workers, but there's already a big back-to-the-land movement in the African-American community, especially in the South. That's great. No, that's a really, I think that's what I was trying to articulate, that there's this these two Wests, right. the real Western land and the job, and then there's like the Western fantasy that a lot of people have. And so there's one other kind of really important thing here um, that calls back to that like, it's dying out kind of thing, which is, this is interesting, right? Because we can both look at it as like a kind of like cultural historical art form. But there are also lots of people still making a living as ranchers and cowboys and still writing new cowboy poetry. And so if you there go, must be. I right. mean, there's a convention. <laughs> so um, the, the one of the show's organizers, Justin Reichert, uh, who is a fifth generation cowboy from Kansas, he says uh, that the art form, it needs to be loved both as a historical thing, but also as like here and now. Uh, he says, quote, you go into shows now and the folklorists stand around watching the cowboys like they're Jane Goodall observing a bunch of chimpanzees. While they're reciting 100 year poems, we're here talking about real issues facing cowboys today, like the number of cowboys who commit suicide or drink themselves to death or those who serve in the military and come home so scarred from PTSD they burn their uniforms or how difficult it is to find a wife willing to live with you in the middle of nowhere. You know what I mean? So it's it's I think once again, it's easy to think about the romantic idealized like ah, out there. But it's hard, you know, and it's it's still hard. It's still hard today. So when asked about the steady death uh, of this way of life, Reichert says that while the romantic ideal helps sell tickets, treating cowboys like some sort of dying breed is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, yeah. That makes complete sense. Um, And he says, if we keep portraying cowboys as a dying breed, pretty soon we will be. A lot of people already think a cowboy is the myth. When I go into town dressed the way I do, they think I'm a reenactor wearing a costume. I have to tell them, no, I live on a ranch. I'm just here buying groceries. <laughs> so let's keep cowboy poetry alive. Um, you can attend that thing. I also have some uh, cowboy poetry. Oh, we already have hope for the future of cowboy poetry because last year, Mariana Mori, a 10-year-old cowgirl from Nevada, performed her own cowboy poetry song for the opening of the festival, and the it was a sold-out audience. She nice. got a standing, o, standing ovation. So good Very for you. Cool. Um, and I have written a poem myself. Okay. It is, uh, I attempted to do a cowboy poem in my own way. It is a love poem mm-hmm. that I wrote for you. Aww. Uh, Though others may shine with the city's false light, you, my sweet love, outshine the moon at night. The saccharine sweet whispers on my deaf ears fall. Compared to your voice, they are a donkey's call. The wide open plains stretch before me, only by your side, and am I truly free. Oh, that's very sweet, darling. You're welcome. I love you. Okay, so let's talk about some etiquette. All right, I'm into it. Okay, so respect. Of. Obviously. Uh, and go there to, like, learn. You know what I mean? You're opening yourself up to an experience. You're seeing what is essentially a different culture. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. And a different way of life. A microcosm, um, if yeah. you will. So go with an idea of what you're going to do. Um, you know, be ready. Be ready to appreciate what you're going in for. If you research it and you're like, I don't think this is my jam, don't go. <laughs> <laughs> um 
you're watching bo- the the poetry and watching a cowboy poem, uh, Alex has written here, uh, audience rules are basically church rules. And for those of you who don't get that, that means that, you know, occasionally there may be a hoop and or a holler uh, or memory of agreement or applause, uh, but no talking during right, it. Respectful. Right. Um, if you're a poet at the festival, you should attend as many of the other shows as you can. See what the old timers are doing, for example. It's a show of respect. Plus, it's a good way to hone your own craft. Uh, go in with an open mind. This isn't going to be all John Wayne enthusiasts and traps and stuff like that. You're probably going to learn something. And it's going to be pretty cool. You don't have to be a cowboy to write poetry. I just did some, I don't know, mediocre poetry myself. It was quite enjoyable. Thank you. You can easily learn the meter uh, and and figure out, you know, the kind of things that appeal to you and write your own cowboy poetry. Uh, have fun. It sounds silly, but I think it would be easy for people to go in with it as, you know, the dying art form and it being like a somber, like mm-hmm. a farewell to the cowboy. Way. But no, it's a fun thing. Go have fun. And if you want to wear boots and a 10 gallon hat, do so. I, I think it's uh, been a while since you've dusted off your old cowboy boots. Well, I haven't left the house in about 10 months. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so that's that's a big part of it. <laughs> um, So, yeah. So I think it's a fascinating art form that it's like. I think far more common than we think of, but I think it's one of those things that is so ingrained into the culture of the American West mm-hmm. that we don't even think about it anymore as its own thing, right? You're, right. Like, it's just like, oh, those are just songs we know. It's like, yeah, but... Like I was saying, like, those are songs that we sing to the kids. Like, Absolutely. We sing Oh My Darling Clementine to her all the time. Um. So, that's... Cowboy poetry. And that's that. So that's going to do it for us. We want to thank Alex, of Of course. course. Without Alex, we wouldn't be able to make the show. Uh, Alex helps us research, uh, as well as going through all the topic suggestions that you email to us, all the idiom suggestions that you email to us, schmanderscast at gmail.com. Yes, please keep emailing those idioms. We've done, what, five shows so far? Yeah, we're going to do more, too. They're my favorite. we're going to do more. We love it. And it's a great way to hear from y'all. And topic suggestions are always welcome. Uh, also, our Twitter is at SchmannersCast. Uh, whenever we have a topic that requires some audience questions, we'll put up the call for questions there. So make sure you follow us so you don't miss your chance to be a part of that. Uh, thank you to Max Fun, our podcast home. Um, go to MaximumFun.org to check out all the other amazing shows there. Uh, what else, Teresa? We always thank Brent, Bruntlefloss Black, for writing our theme music, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Also, thank you to Kayla M. Wassel for a Twitter thumbnail art, once again, at SchmannersCast. Thank you to Bruja Betty Pinup Photography for the cover banner of our fan-run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanners. Uh, if you love to give and get excellent advice from other fans of Schmanners, join that group today. Um, also, we've got a podcasting book coming out called Everybody Has a Podcast Except You, primarily written by me and my brothers, but don't worry, there's a chapter written by uh, Teresa and Rachel and Sydney, and it's the best chapter in the book because they're much smarter than we are. Um, <laughs> and we have a free event happening on January 26th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time to celebrate the launch of the book. It's a free virtual event, so you can attend it from anywhere for zero dollars. Uh, we've partnered with six independent bookstores. If you pre-order from them, You'll get an exclusively designed book plate signed by one of the McRoy brothers while supplies last. Just go to bit.ly slash McRoy podcast book event and you'll get the bookstore links and the event info. It's very good. The book is very good. You're going to like it. Um, also, make sure you check out all the great merch we have over at McRoyMerch.com, including a Cerebus pin of the month that benefits the NARAL uh, designed by Zachary Sterling. 
And, you know, if you're a fan of The Adventure Zone, you can pre-order The Adventure Zone Crystal Kingdom, which is the next graphic novel in our graphic novel series, over at theadventurezonecomic.com. And that's going to do it for us. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manner Schmanners. Get it. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.